The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode number 51 of Parking the Bus. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, here with you once again another night. This is the 10th in a row. It is night 10 of Euro 2020. And as always, um, or I should say, as we have been throughout the duration of this competition, uh, PTB Media Network brings you another special episode of Parking the Bus tonight. And tonight I'm joined by Fade My Place. He's here. He's back again to talk about today's matches. We're going to talk about Friday and Saturdays as well. As well as we as some uh, special topics we got into. We talked about the concept of multiple hosts as this tournament is having play out. And I think we did a pretty good job of weighing the positives and negatives of it. I hope you'll enjoy that part of the episode as well. Plus, we preview tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's matches and get ready for the final days of the group stage. They're winding down. Only a couple more days left of group stage football before we get the first break in the tournament. The first couple of days, we have two days with no matches later this week. And then we are into the knockout stage. Just a reminder, um, because you're listening to this on the podcast feed and you're not watching the live video stream, um, you have a special gift in this one. At the end of the episode, there is a exclusive podcast bonus section or a bonus segment. And I'm going to break down round four of the Brasileirão, the Brazilian League. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I've talked about it. And there's a lot going on in the league. And I, I said a few things a while back. I told you a couple teams to watch for. And we're going to check in on those teams, most notably Red Bull Bragantino, um, Atlético Paranaense, okay, in particular. As well as another, there's another surprise team that's in there that's making a, a little bit of a name for themselves. Yes, it's only round four, but there is definitely some surprises that have come down, some really surprising results, and we'll get into all of that tonight, okay? This is episode 51, like I said. Don't forget to follow the show on the social media at PTB underscore media, whether it's on on Instagram, on Twitter, and don't forget to check out the the website www.parkingthebusmedia.com and of course go over to the PTB Media Network's YouTube page subscribe hit the bell next to it all right i'm uploading the video from this episode up now rather than the live feed actually didn't come out very well i think that my internet my internet signal um was, was atrocious throughout the duration of this this um Throughout the duration of this recording, so I'm actually going to be uploading the the MP4 file brand new, so that there is no hiccup and no no stutter in it, and um, it'll be a much better quality. It's just going to take a little longer to get out, but that is uh, the lowdown right now. So uh, we're going to take a quick break to pay a quick bill, 
And on the other side, it's going to be episode 51. Thank you for joining me. Of course, again, I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And um, enjoy the episode, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to yet another episode of Parking the Bus Euro Edition, Euro 2020. It is a day 10. I'm going to be joined in just a little while by Fade My Place. He's going to be joining us tonight. We're going to talk about today's matches, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the other topics going on in the competition. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the matches the past few nights as well. Um, First and foremost, though, I I want to wish a happy Father's Day to each and every one of you listening, all the fathers out there uh, across the United States and Canada as well. I believe they're celebrating it today as well. Thank you for spending part of your Father's Day here with me. And let me tell you, I told my son today, of everything I do in this world, of everything that I have and everything that I that I am, the thing that I'm happiest and proudest of is being a father. And this is a day for all of us. So to everybody, happy Father's Day. How y'all doing? How is it going? All right. We've got Group A is complete. It is all done. Group A has finished. We've got Italy. We've got Wales and most likely Switzerland advancing. I have to wait a little while to see. Okay. Um, Another solid performance, I would say, from the Azuri today. Not as fantastic or not as spectacular as we had been seeing, but no doubt a very solid performance. And, um, you know, you just saw them take care of business. And we saw Roberto Mancini giving a lot of guys a chance to play today that had yet to get that chance. Okay, we even saw the backup goalie get to go in today. I'm going to talk about all that. Also, there was the other match, Switzerland and Turkey. The Swiss come through in a must win, which leaves us asking, what happened to Turkey? Can anybody tell me what happened to Turkey this tournament? Everybody had them as a dark horse. I think I even had them advancing. Not entirely sure anymore. I don't remember. It was a long time ago when I filled out that card. But I think I might have even had them advancing out of this group stage as a third-place team. Zero points for Turkey. Um, That is quite a disturbing, but disappointing turn of events for them and you you have to wonder what went wrong because they were on such a good run of form leading up to this they were on such good um just they were getting results they were playing well okay they weren't surrendering goals and then they came in here and they got lit up some three times and really really disappointing performance from turkey in this euro 2020 fade my plays is here i'm gonna i'm gonna bring him in right now what's up brother how's it going 
What's going on? Sorry about that. I was uh, waiting in the wrong room, literally clicked the wrong link, was just sitting there like, when is this going to be going on? But yeah, I'm here. I'm ready. Let's talk about some fucking Euros. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, the, the uh, stream yard's been a little bit weird the last 20 minutes or so. I had a whole show description done and everything was gone. All of a sudden it was unlinked to all my platform. So I had to throw it back uh, together at the last second. It might have broken the original link. I'm not sure. But no, I'm glad no, to have I you here. Days ago. All right. I'm glad to have you here. What'd you think? Um, let's start with today's action. What'd you think of today's action? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I, you know, betting wise was on the team total for Italy and they had about a bajillion chances, not to mention mm -hmm. 40 minutes with uh, Wales down to 10 men. But you could tell that they were just playing, you know, once they got the lead, they were just kind of going through the motions, as was Wales. Um, I think both sides were very content with a 1-0 Italy victory. But you watch the game, and the biggest takeaway I had from it was how good Italy looked. I mean, their group is relatively easy, but mm -hmm. all three games, they've been in full control. They're the only uh, team to not allow a goal in the group stage in, like, I think it's 16 years. Yeah. Um, you know, so just unbelievably great play from them. And, you know, the eye test, granted, again, they were playing the likes of Wales and Turkey and Switzerland, but... You know, the eye test says, I think they look better than France do at the minute. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah, eye I test says, I think they look better than Portugal overall. Mm -hmm. um, so I just have a kind of renewed, um, a renewed trust in kind of what's going on over there in Italy. And, you know, shockingly, it seems like they're not even playing their best 11 and mm -hmm. still look this good. Uh, you know, it, it surprises me in match day one and two, the Chiesa is still not in there. And their bench is super deep. So, yeah, I think I think they have a great chance at making a run, especially with all these home games. Yeah. And how good was Kiesa today? I mean, he finally gets the opportunity. I mean, and <laughs> I love watching that kid play. Like it drives me insane he's not in the team. And also, yeah. there were a couple of uh, – I was screaming at the television because my uh, – I, you know, there was a couple of chances that people just weren't giving him the ball in open space. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah I, I, he's a great what, player. And what's impressive and what you sort of alluded to there, Italy's yet to show a weakness. Mm. I, I Where do you attack them? I mean, they're yet – I mean, Portugal showed the weakness yesterday. It was yep. made uh, – <laughs> Germany blew it wide open and showed everybody how to beat them, which is going to be something they're going to have to contend with now. But yeah. with Italy, I – where do you where do you go at them? I mean, they change pieces, they change players. The, the, mm. the game stays the same. They continue it's to play their game. There's there's an element to Italy that, and this is kind of what I was saying when talking about their Switzerland game is there's a very specific way they play, a very specific mm -hmm. way that their team uses the build up, and they like to control the ball, but they actually do positive things with it versus mm -hmm. you know a team like Spain that just sits on it for the whole mm -hmm. time. But again, and this comes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier is that they haven't really played anyone that's really pushing them. Right. And the only team that could have really pushed them was Switzerland, but Switzerland plays the exact same style of play and they are not as good by miles. Right. So it'll be interesting to see when they go up against a better side that actually comes at them and has a really dynamic attack, what it's going to be like. I think a nightmare matchup for Italy would be the likes of France because I think France would do to Italy what they did to Germany. Just sure. sit back, soak up pressure, and then break with unbelievable pace. Right. Yeah, I could see that. And I think Belgium would be a, would be an entertaining matchup for Italy as well. Yeah. Because I think they could they could handle the mm. 
the ball movement and the player movement of, of Italy well, and it could break. They got all kinds of pace to break on the on yeah. to attack on the break against them. But we saw Marco Verratti come in today. He hadn't played yet. He him and Jorginho together make a very nice uh, a very nice tandem there in midfield. And then yeah, I mean, yeah we saw what, what riches you have when Verratti yeah. is you know not even there. And you're three nil. Right, eight changes in total from uh, match day two. So uh, we even got, to, like I just said, uh, just before you came on, we even got to see the backup goalkeeper today for a little bit. That's how yeah. comfortable Italy is. I think they literally may have come as close as you can get to getting all <laughs> 26 players into a match at some point yeah. in this group stage. Uh, job well done. Uh, they can only control who's in front of them. They can't control that they're not playing better teams. So they mm-hmm. showed up. They 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 did their business. On the other end, Wales, like you said, I think they knew the result of Turkey and, and Switzerland mm. and were content to just lose 1-0 because that keeps yeah. them ahead on the goal difference, puts them in second place. Um, Gareth Bale probably had the best chance of the game for, for Wales. I mean... And- and it was interesting. It was right. It was on a set piece that Italy had just made a wholesale substitution on, and yeah. somehow you know the ball gets knocked to the far post, headed across the face of goal, and there's Gareth Bale completely unmarked, but he can't get it on goal. And and also, I mean, talk about not just that golden chance. They also had, for some reason, you know, they got the ball in the box and had loads of players and just kind of drilled it out and didn't do anything with it. I mean, Wales had their chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say in any way they deserve to win or deserve to even draw that game, but they did have a couple of chances. But I think, mm-hmm. again, it goes back to a lot of it was just Italy sleeping, being content to not really. I mean, Italy's through no matter what, unless, you know, some crazy loss to Wales by four goals, they'd be, you know, the top of the table or top of the group anyway. So, right. you know, I just, I really feel like today was not a great measure of Italy other than seeing just how deep they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about Wales that I, I'm shocked that they're going through, but they are, you know. Well mm-hmm. done to them. Yeah. Italy with their B squad, and their B squad is so much better than a lot of the other teams yeah. out there, period. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Wales just is exposed. I mean, in, in the Switzerland game as well, Wales just, they are going to be torn apart by somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think if this was match day one, this would have been a three, a four nil win mm-hmm. for Italy. But yeah, they were lucky to get them last. Destroyed. Yeah, I'm. I was shocked at just like the amount of gaps they leave. They're a lot like Scotland, and they're playing with so much passion. But I mean, they just get their foot in, and they're they're gonna get a red card here and there. I mean, the red card was very harsh, but at the same time, you know, yeah. sweds up is always gonna be one, and especially when the ball's yeah. nowhere near you. But I just, and I, I wasn't convinced. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I thought it was a little bit harsh too. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see any intent to to. He was late. That's all it was. He, yeah. he arrived he was, late. He was late, but the studs were up. So what the are you going to do? The studs were up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll go through the the two sets of eleven real quick. Wales played a four a three four three. Danny Ward back in goal. Joe Roden, Ethan, uh, and Padu, who was the player who ended up getting sent off. And Chris Gunter are the three in the back. Connor Roberts, Joe Morell, Joe Allen, Nico Williams in midfield, and then the attack is the well known uh, trio. Daniel mm. James of Manchester United, Aaron Ramsey of Juventus, and Gareth Bale. Um, I believe his loan is up, so he's back at Real Madrid officially now. 
or maybe on July 1st, he's officially back at Real Madrid. But that that is a pretty good front three. Um, mm-hmm. Plenty of pace in it. Daniel James, I think, has been pretty good in this tournament, actually. Uh, I think player. he's shown he – yeah, he's shown well in these three matches. Yeah. Uh, for Italy, 4-3-3, they played Donnarumma, of course, in goal. Uh, Rafael Toloi comes in. Uh, Bonucci gets the start in the, the armband. He's partnered today with Alessandro Bastoni. And Emerson gets a shot at left back today. Jorginho Verratti and Matteo Piscina in midfield in their front three. Andrea Bellotti, who had a, a million chances, it seemed like. Um, he partners and with Federico Chiesa. Yeah, Federico Chiesa and Federico Bernadeschi. So that's the yeah. makeshift uh, Italian team, like we said. Eight changes from match day <laughs> makeshift, two. yeah. It's it's a nice luxury, isn't it, to have this type of second line? I mean, if you're Italy, you're probably feeling comfortable in the fact that if anybody is sent off, if anybody is injured, I don't think there's anybody irreplaceable in the squad. There's Don another Aroma's guy waiting to come in, other one. than Donnarumma, right? But as far as the outfield players, yeah, it looks like you know you could pretty much substitute anybody that you have an answer for any buddy that might go missing and what's nice is not only do you have an answer but a lot of their players are very versatile in terms of they can play you know uh on the wings they can play in the midfield mm-hmm. as a holding midfielder as an attacking midfielder they have very versatile players um you know and as outlined by Verratti, i mean he wasn't even in there for match day one or two comes in today right. and plays kind of that holding midfielder role um that he does for psg but he still gets into the box he's still dynamic as a player mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's a very dangerous side top to bottom yeah no doubt no doubt at all and you know the way they move the ball is just there's a, there's a comfort and a confidence in their play right now mm-hmm. and they just they know each other they look like a they look like a club team is actually what it looks like it doesn't look like a you know, selection of, of players that have come together to play for a country. They look like a team that plays together all the time. Yeah. I mean, and that's, well, I mean, that's the beauty of having, you know, it's, uh, I think during the broadcast, they said it today that you look at a team like Wales and you have a couple of your players in the third division in England. Mm -hmm. You have a couple of your players in the top tier. You have a couple of your players in, you know, the French second league, but I think it was, eight out of the starting 11 for Italy all play in the Serie A. So yeah. if they don't play together, they know each other's game extremely well. Uh, you know, they're all speaking to each other in the same language mm-hmm. all the time, whether for club or country. It's yeah. just a situation where I think it really benefits those teams where, you know, not that England are ever successful, but one of the most dangerous England teams was back in the early 2000s when literally eight of the starting 11 played for Manchester United. And it's yeah. because they have so much ability to read each other without having to mm-hmm. get used to it and i think that will always always be a benefit you know like when spain won the world cup you mm-hmm. have yeah. over half your players play for two teams yeah <laughs> like, exactly and at that time the two best teams in the world yeah so. exactly <laughs> it, it was yeah it, it is always good to build when you can to build a national team around a core from a club team mm-hmm. because then you're just adding pieces versus starting from scratch yeah, and they did yeah. say, like you said, they said 22 of the 26 players are in Serie A, and they're all yeah. everyday players. They're not just in the Serie A. So, some of the players on other teams could be in the top flight, but but down mm. the pecking order, fighting for minutes. 
And then they said the four that are not in the Serie A are split between PSG and Chelsea. So even yeah. within the ones not in the league, they're only coming from two clubs, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> yeah, not exactly a slouches there. No, not just anybody. Champions League winners and, uh, you know, perennial finalists. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the goal ends up coming in the 39th minute. It's Piscina. It's off a set piece. It was beautiful. He just got enough of a redirection on it. The the ball had eyes found its way into the far post. And, uh, yeah, they saw the result out after that. I think they were comfortable. They never were. Again, three matches. I'm yet to see them really put under any type of stress. Nah, Always I mean, comfortable in all three if you're matches. An Italy fan, you, you don't have too many uh, clenching moments. No, no, it was a pretty uh, relaxing <laughs> group phase mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Um, of course, better teams are are waiting in the horizon, and they will be tested. But you know, half the field—well, not half, but a, a quarter of the field—is going to go home at the end of the week. Exactly. So you're already advancing. Plus, they, like you said, they have the advantage of playing at home until the semifinals. So they have mm. two more home games if they win. And one of them's against England. So they can take out the host. Well, if England wins the group, of course. But they can take out the host of the finals at their stadium. And maybe that brings me to the other topic. I've been meaning to, to bring this up. What do you think of having all these hosts? It's starting to seem like the teams playing at home are are all doing better than those who are not playing at home yes and no i mean i mm-hmm. i would argue that it's obviously a huge help but you know how's turkey doing right you know, they they, right. they look terrible they've mm-hmm. been terrible they've lost yeah. every match and deservedly so and mm-hmm. all of their games have been in budapest you know i mean i think a lot of the host nations are good sides like it just so happens that mm-hmm. the dutch are in the easiest group there is and you know uh, and they're playing in uh the netherlands and mm-hmm. you know denmark it's not going well for them playing in copenhagen uh england look like absolute shit and like mm-hmm. i mean they were in england and they you wouldn't have known it from the crowd though Pardon? The scotland fan, you wouldn't have known it from oh, the, no, I, sound, I mean, the yeah. scotland fans out out shouted them out saying them yeah it was, was quite remarkable one. that's that's the nature of the english fans as well because yeah. they're so jaded knowing that eventually some way they're going to fuck it up. But no, I mean, I meant for the Croatia game. This sure. is the first England, you know, I don't know how much you know about it, but you know, my family's half of my family's all over there and they've been locked down. And so yeah, I have yeah. fans in the stadium in Wembley and it's the first England match in so long. And it's a team that actually could do something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that it's coming home feeling all over again. Yeah. And still it's just like, they were barely able to eke out a one, no win against Croatia. I mean, I, I would argue for some teams it's a massive boost and it's showing and it will continue to benefit them. And then for other teams, it's, you know, it's great to have for them, but it's not, you know, I, I would argue that we're going to see the actual effect of home teams when it comes time to, you know, in the knockout stage when we're mm-hmm. seeing at Wembley, England taking on, you know, the Netherlands in the semifinal or right. Portugal in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. yeah it, it it's i'm wondering and i'm thinking that this may be a little bit of a test run for the future because mm. we hear all the time about the the immense burden it is to host one of these competitions the amount of money that has to be pumped into infrastructure and to yeah 
this is a lot less of a burden by spreading it out among a large group of countries. Each one mm. gets a city. A lot of countries can come up with one stadium in one host city without spending much. Yeah. I'm wondering if, you know, the next one's slated to be in Germany. I'm wondering if after that, we start to see this format for this competition. It, um, it makes sense. And then it, also, mm-hmm. you know, that the benefit of the reason why countries bid on the Olympics and the World Cup yeah. and the Euros and all that is because of the revenue that they mm-hmm. get from, you know, tourism and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, oh, by the way, there's another country that hasn't really benefited being at home. Germany and Munich still lost at home their opening game to France. But, yeah. I mean, the thing that I like about it a lot is that you get these, not just different stadiums, but you're having teams kind of in some way or another mimic the regular season. Mm-hmm. All of these players are traveling, especially the top yeah. tier teams. They're traveling for the Champions League, so going country to country. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to embrace kind of a bigger ability for more fans and for different fans that aren't able to afford to be. I can't, you know, as a as a German fan, some people may not be able to travel to England to go to Wembley, but they can go to Munich. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I think I think they're giving that opportunity and also you know, like you said, the infant infrastructure, if you're not already set up for it, like people think the Olympics that happen in the United States, right? It's, yeah, there was the LA Olympics. Yeah, there was Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was Squaw Valley, but it's still spread out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just oh, yeah. like one stadium where, and, and you look at Brazil and it's like, what it did to that country. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now they have a ghost stadium that they oh, yeah. built for the World Cup. And it doesn't do anything. And it just, right. with all that money and energy and resources, and it's just literally a boondoggle. So I think it's a great way to say, hey, Brazil, you have these amazing amazing football stadiums already built that you don't have the infrastructure to house all these teams and all these mm-hmm. people. So let's combine it and make it South American. Let's do in Argentina, you know, let's and Chile and Brazil. So I think I think you're on to something there with it being a good model moving forward. I, I can see the only problem with it would be, you know, how do you decide who gets the final, who gets the semis, but. And you know. may run into having the same hosts every tournament and the, the. Would that be so bad? I mean, they, they no. have five-star venues for a reason. Right, right. It, what you would need, and I think they did this right. They didn't treat every host as a host. They had to qualify. Mm-hmm. And they didn't just get seated because they're the host like you normally have when you have one. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, you would have the top teams in the world guaranteed, not guaranteed, but pretty much guaranteed the easiest groups. But yeah. the way they did it, I think it's, you know, it's it, it's tough when you draw two hosts in your group um, and you're playing two teams on their home on their home uh, pitches. But I do think it is it is a model going forward that's probably going to be looked at. And mm. that what could stand in the way could be, you know, the politics of football because it's so dirty and so corrupt. But a place like Budapest or Copenhagen are never going to host a, a major tournament. Otherwise Baku in Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're taking it, like you said, to places and to fans that otherwise would never have a chance to host an yeah. event of this, if they had to, you know, host it all in one. And with the debacle of, of world cup 2022 being in Qatar, I think that that probably blows up the whole model of a single host going forward. I mean, um, well, we're already, I also, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, not to get into it, but like mm-hmm. we talk about the corruption of the Super right. League, Jesus Christ, like yeah, on Qatar. And also it's just it's going to ruin all of 2022 football in general because it oh, completely uh, takes away from all of the league. So I don't know. It, it's, don't, 
absolutely yeah. insane to me that they allowed that. And yeah, it's it is. Corruption, but shit. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it really and then, you know, COVID hits a year and a half before that. We're not going to have a normal calendar until after that World Cup. So yeah. we're looking at probably 23, 24 as a hopeful return to what we were used to before with with a normal calendar, with international dates and, yeah. you know, with summer tournaments. But, I mean, they're already jammed up. They're playing World Cup qualifiers, three matches per window now, mm-hmm. all the way to the world just to squeeze them in. It, it ended up working out in the end because I don't know that they would have been able to run a World Cup next summer, mm-hmm. given how behind qualifying is. They would have had to probably cancel this competition and the Copa America and play qualifiers through the summer. But, um, yeah, it, it is interesting. And I think that um, going forward, like I said, this this could this is kind of a very Gold Cup-ish even. Mm. You see it in CONCACAF where we've had situations where, like, Mexico plays their group at home, the United States plays at home, and then Canada plays at home, and then they come together for the knockout stages in two or three cities. And yeah. you just start to spread games out. I mean, it's a lot of traveling, but it's easier than – you know, the, the huge burden, like we said, of hosting a Euro, a World Cup, or an Olympics. And, well, I mean, and, I mean that, that's also another thing. And, again, call me, you know, I don't know, call me soccer elitist, but mm-hmm. it, it seems to be this weird situation where is it really benefiting the people of a country, mm-hmm. not, not the politicians, not the right. big business owners, the people of a country – to build all these crazy stadiums mm-hmm. like they're doing in Qatar or like they did for Brazil versus if England hosts the world cup, every, they have all the stadiums already done. Oh yeah. They don't need to do anything. Literally zero. Same with the U S same with Germany, same with France. And I'm not saying leave it to only those countries. Right. Just, I feel like there is something to be said for your, the economic impact, the mm-hmm. social impact, the environmental impact is so much less using mm-hmm. host countries that have some of this built already. You know, yeah. like a, a great doing kind of taking this model that we're talking about one step further is have these other countries like Qatar and all that, have them each build one stadium yeah. rather than five. Because what are you going to do with those five anyway after the World right. Cup? It's never right. coming back there. So like build one and then have one in each place and all of that. Like, I mean, Finland, they can host an actual match. You know, right. They don't have to build anything because they have their own leagues. Norway, Sweden, they have their mm-hmm. own leagues. You know, I, at I just, most they would have to add some stands to reach a capacity exactly, that, yeah. of fifty thousand or something like that. In and if one you, and you hope you host a group stage match there, then you know what? Guess what? There's less tickets. Like you know, being yeah, the city it is feel the electricity, but you know, not all stadiums are made equal. Right, and like you said, England, for example, has a great highway system. It's easy to get about the country. You could yeah. even expand it and do it in the entire UK. You could include Ireland if you wanted to. Yeah, Northern Ireland, Scotland. Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Scotland, uh, Wales, and England could host a tournament. Yeah, I mean, you, you go to um, you go to Cardiff. I mean, they mm-hmm. have yeah unbelievable stadium there. Sure. You know, you go you go to Dublin and they have the O2. It's unbelievable. Right. I mean, exactly. There's there's so many places that already exist. It seems crazy to build ones that will then not only never be used again, but I mean, we've heard stories of you know deaths and and it just exploding local communities. And yeah. Just, it's not it's not worth it for football when none of the players are going to enjoy it. And you know who the fuck is traveling to Qatar to go and see this? 
Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. I know, I know. Right. Actually, tell them not. And no. also, they're, they're, because Qatar is a bajillion degrees during the summer, they have mm-hmm. to do it during the winter, which right. not only screws up the leagues, but now you're asking fans, you know, of these other teams in Western countries to be like, oh, you know, fuck Christmas with my family. My one yeah. break, I'm going to go to Qatar to support my like, team. Right. That just, you know, I don't yeah. Know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I meant to touch on this one in one of the other episodes, and we never get the chance. And today, with only two matches, there's yeah. more time to talk about these things. So I thought I would I would dive into that a little bit. And I tend to agree with you on just about everything you said there. And um, this is I think this is really going to unfold in an interesting mm-hmm. way because these tournaments do have a we we talk about the advantages, but how often does the host actually go on to win these tournaments when you really think about it? I mean, they're carried, they're carried to a certain level. We've seen hosts go beyond their expectation, but eventually reality sets in and you find yeah. an opponent that that's just not enough to overcome. But yeah. um, I mean, the best example of all time is Brazil and Germany. Of course, of course. And I Brazil mean, probably, they were not a semifinal level team that year. They, they overperformed to even get there. Yeah. And then, you know, reality hit them real hard. <laughs> and, you know, Russia... Russia got to the quarterfinals on, you know, basically that that energy of playing at home. Korea back in 2002 gets to the semifinals, but did anyone believe they were ever going to win it? I mean, it, it is it and more it times than not, it makes it almost an easier path for whoever faces them. True, true, absolutely. Um, how much did you see of Switzerland and Turkey? I'm gonna, I didn't see much of this. You know, game. I tried to watch simultaneously mm-hmm. as much as I can, obviously, because I had uh, a little bit more money on the Italy game. I watched, yeah, more of, of that, course. which was obviously the wrong choice because the Switzerland game was electric, yeah, uh, I mean, an absolute worldly from Shakiri, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it was good and. It comes back the the obviously I've gone back and watched uh, you know a lot of the play breakdown and the mm-hmm. highlights and it comes back to like this is how Switzerland operate is if you look at the statistics they had even possession for the most part you know uh, more shots on goal but you know it was pretty even but they just made their shots count because they're not afraid to take them you know yeah. I mean their first two goals were amazing shots from outside the box. Mm-hmm. They, you can't say, like, this is a Swiss team that's going to pick you apart. It's not. It's a team that's going to go forward, press you, impress you, and shoot as much as they can from anywhere on the pitch because they have the talent to, you know, do what Shakiri did and put it in every now and then mm. or make a deep cross from 30 yards out and then Bolo get ahead to it. So I think Switzerland is a great example of a team with a lot of fight and a team that does not subscribe to the fact that they're underdogs. They play like everyone is the same opponent and they are going to play their game against them. Yeah, I agree with that. And they they knew, I guess, again, it's, an, it's a case of another team that won the game they had to win. Yeah. They took care of business and they, they won what they had to win in order to advance. I think they're going to advance. I think four points is going to be enough. Um, mm. We'll see. It's going to be close because we got a lot of teams in, right now with three already. So going into the final match days, it... I don't like where Portugal's sitting right now, for example, because it's looking like as these teams keep getting four points, they they need to get a result against France, which is going to be very hard to, to, to come by. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that goal difference isn't going to come into play when you're a point behind all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I was hoping for Turkey to win this or for a draw just to keep Switzerland at, at two points. 
Mm. But it didn't happen. Switzerland did what they needed to do, like we said. And, you know, goals from Seferovic and Shakiri, two from Shakiri. Uh, he was on Fop Mob, named the man of the match. And another good match for Steven Zuber as well. Yeah. Got a high rating. And, um, oof, God, I'm just looking at yeah. the, the tables right now. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Portugal, not only, yeah, they. They the only good thing is because Portugal plays on the final day, they will know exactly what they have to do when they go on. That is very true. Whereas Switzerland has to now sit around and wait for the next couple of days to see what's going to happen. Well, yeah, you also got – this is interesting, though. I think I think they have a road if they didn't even win because mm. thank God for them, Spain is so trash. Yeah. <laughs> that Spain's final matches against Slovakia, Spain has to win. Yeah. They, most likely will win. Slovakia will be on, you know, uh, a negative goal difference mm -hmm. and um, three points. You have Scotland and Croatia. Croatia must win to get anything. Right. Uh, but if they don't, then you have Scotland and Croatia, you know, sitting on two points if they draw. Yeah, and then that will do it. Yeah. If if I think as long as Hungary don't pull off the upset of yeah and, and, and beat Belgium, Germany Belgium facing Finland. Yeah. You know, even if Belgium rotates their entire squad, Finland should lose. So that's another, you know. So there is a path yeah. for them if they don't get yeah. anything, but I think the hinge of kind of everything happening in all the group stages is yeah. one of tomorrow's matches, and that's Ukraine and Austria. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. that game will completely change the landscape for people going through because I genuinely think they're both going to play for a draw. I think this mm -hmm. is going to be a nil nil. Mm -hmm. And it's actually in the betting markets. I've never seen it before. A draw is the odds on favorite. Yeah. I've never yeah, seen well, it. Win benefits both teams, you know, it's interesting. And this game, this Turkish team, you know, was so touted by some people as the quote unquote dark horse. Yeah. And, Crazy. You know, I said in the opening just before you came on that what happened here is uh, because they, it's not like they weren't in good form coming in. I mean, their results leading into this would would suggest what people were predicting. Hmm. And all of a sudden, they come into these three matches and they just get smacked up. And yeah, and they look they start terrible. Well. They look terrible. They're leaking goals. They look like they're. They didn't have a, a plan or they, the plan they did have didn't work and they didn't have anything mm. to fall back on. They didn't have any kind of adjustments made. Three losses. I mean, they're the first team, you know, they're the only team, I think, with zero points right now. Um, and North Macedonia. And North, North Macedonia. You know, there's the a couple that have zero, but they've played less games. Denmark right. has zero. Right. North right. Macedonia, they have another game. Right. I can't, I can't imagine, other than North Macedonia... Mm -hmm. I don't think another team will have zero. And and Turkey's right. a home country as well. They played yeah. all of their matches. They played in Baku, there. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, who would have expected Turkey to come in here and get zero? I thought they would Swept. be a third, mm -hmm. if not second place. In well, this I took them second in. in this group. Mm -hmm. Or no, excuse me, third. I thought Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. What a so, surprise, though, from Wales. I can't believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. that. I didn't expect it from them either. I mean... We've seen so little of Gareth Bale, and we and he's been terrible. And he's been and what we have seen has been terrible, you know. And Aaron Ramsey, we he they're different players when they play for Wales than when they play in their club teams. There's yeah, a little bit of effort there that, or maybe not effort, but there's just a drive and a familiarity, mm. and there's a comfort in playing in their national team. Yeah, and 100%. again, just like Switzerland, 
Wales won the one match they had to win. Yeah. There's a lot to be said, though, about I think that it comes down to like a team's makeup. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to hate. I swear I'm a fan of them. My wife is, you know, British and my mm-hmm. family is British. Mm-hmm. And I swear I'm a fan of England. But I genuinely feel like that's a big reason why they kind of are perennial losers or perennial choke artists, at least in recent years. Well, in the last, what, almost 60 years now. Mm-hmm. But it's because there's some there's some inkling and feeling in every Brit I've ever met in my life that they know at one point it's all going to fall apart. And that could be, you know, a British mentality. That could be just the heartache that they've suffered as mm-hmm. football fans of, you know, England. But England don't have that killer instinct that when they need to win, they have one game and they have to get all three points and they need, you know, two goals. to They need to win by two goals for goal difference you just know they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when last last World Cup, when we were all watching that Croatia game, it's like you have Kieran Trippia hit that absolute worldly free kick in the first 15 minutes, and then Croatia levels it up. And as you get to the 80th minute, you, it, it's, you just know everyone's like, oh, my God, they're going to fuck this up. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, they're going to do something terrible. As opposed to, come on, like, get it, get it, you know. And I think that that mentality plays into a lot of teams like with turkey i mean you get embarrassed in front of your home fans in budapest twice you go into this last day knowing we have no road moving forward really unless we absolutely destroy switzerland you know i i just think you could see them playing as though they're going home Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's something that you don't often see like another zero point team denmark they have all fight. It is not. Oh, yeah. They're going to fight till the death. Yeah. And in fact, I have them to win tomorrow. I think it's mm-hmm. a lot uh, just because of the fact that it'll be in front of their home crowd. Mm-hmm. If they win the right way, they can go through, which would be an amazing story because of Christian Erickson, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's like you have teams that are willing to put in that fight. And from what I've seen so far, Turkey, Spain, Croatia, Poland, Hungary are not those teams this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can compare that to, for example, the German attitude where they're never counting themselves out. No. And they, they you can tell fighting. them how bad they are all you want. Yeah. They don't believe it. They just keep going. And yeah. the it's never over to the Germans until the final whistle blows. Yeah. I don't know. Even in the German league, you see teams come back all the time, and they fight to the very, very end. And I, sure. Everyone had written Germany off after that loss to, yeah. to France, and then, you know, it's like a hey, you forgot about us kind of thing yesterday. Where yeah. Yeah, classic wild. German German way of doing things, completely calculated. Uh, they did their homework and they said, We're gonna beat you like this. You stop us, you force us, and they you know, and they continue to be able to overload the two flanks, send mm-hmm. in great ball, great service balls all game. And you know, they they could have easily won six or seven to one yesterday. Yeah, that I could mean, have been an absolute massacre. It, and it really, in reality, should have been. But, you yeah. know, I, very quick side note story, but I completely agree with you about the Germans. One of my favorite stories from this year was randomly in the middle of the year, I took uh, Leipzig and Leverkusen. I picked a draw, you know, uh, sent it out as one of my plays. And almost immediately, Leverkusen score. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, shit. And then in the 60th minute, uh, Leverkusen score again. The 61st minute, they score again. 
three nil. And I was like, well, done watching this game, lost yeah. that, whatever. From the 89th minute to the 94th minute, Leipzig score three, finishes yeah. as a 3-3 three, three draw. It's like Germans do not know how to stop trying. Right. And I think I think the same, you know, for the most part with Portugal as well. I think they're very, yeah. very much in that category of a team that just like we could be down 3-0, 4-0, we're going to mm-hmm. fucking fight. And you saw that. That's why they got. Yeah. I think we lost him for a second there. But yeah, what he's saying, he's right. You know, the Germans will fight to the end. Um, Portugal were able to get a goal back, which made a big, big difference. It's going to make a big difference in the in the goal in the goal difference. But they, it looks like they're going to need a point. I don't know. We'll we'll know on Wednesday when we get there. Let me see if. Uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a quick break right now. All right, we're going to see if we can get him back on. And we will be right back here on parking the bus. Okay, he's coming in. We'll be right back. We're going to take a real, real short break. And give me about 30 seconds or so to get him back on. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB Media Network. Your English language home of Copa Libertadores. All right, there you are. My bad. That's all right. No, no worries. Uh, No worries at all. Um, Yeah, as you were saying, you know, you were about to say, the last thing I heard you say was that uh, that's why Portugal got one back there. And that that goal could end up being the the difference, is that that Jota goal. And again, for me, as a Portugal fan, obviously, and all the criticism you that... He's always been laid on Ronaldo for his his national team performances or his lack of desire. I mean, he made a goal and assist out of very little yesterday. He had very yeah. little service. That's that second goal is him not giving up on the ball and managing yep. to put it back across the face of goal so that Jota can put it in. And I yeah. think they were a little bit happy to be four to two because towards the end it, he made a substitution to kind of keep that goal difference mm. and take their chances now on the final day, knowing they'll know what exactly what they have to do. And I think they're against anybody else. I still trust them. <laughs> this is four games in a row against Germany that kind of went that way. Yeah. Um, and it won't seem it, until the final unless. And, and, uh, right. And if we get there, we'll worry about it then. Exactly. <laughs> um, but France may for them be a better match. Um, even though they're a better team, I don't know that they're going to be so. They're going to look to exploit the weaknesses quite mm-hmm. that way and that viciously, if you will. Um, I think France have their own way of playing that matches up and is more, more, uh, more consistent with the way we want to play. And I think that's why a lot of times we cancel each other out a little bit. And yeah. um, it happened in Nations League too. We played them twice, and it was one was a draw. They won the other one, but there was a lot of canceling out of the two teams. So, hmm. um, but yeah, that to get back to that German attitude, it's just I admire it so much that they just like you said, uh, their Leipzig puts in three goals in the last five minutes of the match, and there's just no dying in the in those teams in those in their yeah. the way they play in their culture. Really, it's a cultural strength. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's interesting as well to see the teams that look at, I don't know, I feel like there's some teams where you can see that international competitions are such a source of pride. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
it comes across, you know, in their gameplay and their fans, you know, and, and I'm not saying Even in the anthem, it comes here. across for some teams in the yeah, way that like they, they belt out their anthem. Yeah. And I'm not in any way trying to say that some teams don't try. I'm just simply mm-hmm. saying that there are definitely those that make a point of their national teams being a massive focus of all of their players from the time that, you know, they start playing football. Yeah. So three to one to Switzerland, like we said, uh, again, nightmarish uh, group stage for Turkey. Probably it has to be one of their worst performances ever at a finals yeah. uh, in any competition. Italy wins the group with nine points, seven goals scored, none allowed. Um, classic Italian <laughs> and more goals than they, we used to see from them. So they, it's a nice evolution of what their football is becoming. And I, I like mm. where they're going. Um, yeah. Even if this isn't the tournament they win, they're definitely going in the right direction, and they, they have a core group that they're going to keep for for some years here, even as yeah. the Immobiles and the the Chiellinis and the Bonucci's move on. Uh, there's definitely a core group that they can build around. Absolutely. Wales, Wales with the the second place finish, four points plus one goal difference, only three goals scored, but only two goals allowed. And when you allow less than you score, you're gonna you're gonna end up with some points. Uh, Switzerland yeah. also on four, but they are at minus one, so they're going to wait and see what happens. Um, and of course, Turkey with zero. All right, you want to look at tomorrow's matches? Let's do it. A few tomorrow, so we got four tomorrow, right? Yeah, four. So at uh, the early game, all tomorrow, at the same time, right? No, yeah, no, there's two, 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 two and then two. two. Yeah. So the early game is or early games. In Group C, North Macedonia versus the Netherlands and Ukraine versus Austria. Mm-hmm. Netherlands have six points. Again, we, we've talked about this game, how this one's attractive to us because yeah. you got a North Macedonia side that's out there to just play and that's playing on pride and they're going to, I believe, be even excited to go against a team the caliber of the Netherlands. You mm-hmm. have a Netherlands side that's already through and they're going to be managing minutes. They're probably going to be like anyone holding on to a yellow card is probably going to sit to not risk uh, being suspended for the round of 16. So it's a game where North Macedonia could steal something. They're definitely going to make it difficult for the Netherlands. I think they're going to push them and they're going to make an entertaining match out of it. And then you got the Ukraine and Austria, like you said, which is a game you're, you're pretty sure is going to end up in a draw because that is the, the going favorite right now as, um, both teams, it's not beneath either one of those teams to go out there and just get a draw and kind of agree to to kind of just keep the ball amongst themselves mm. and and see out the ninety minutes. Uh, what are you thinking in these either of these two matches tomorrow? Yeah, like um, again, I think that it's an interesting case where what you said is exactly correct. North Macedonia is playing for pride; they know the route, um, but these the line is just wild that they're, you know, plus a thousand or yeah, excuse me, plus 1000. I'm not saying I would ever bet on them, but the idea that you can get two goals head start on the, you know, uh, spread at minus 115 is nuts. I don't think Netherlands is going to go out here and smack them for nothing. Um, in fact, North Macedonia hasn't lost by that big a margin Mm -hmm. yet. I mean, you know, they've allowed five goals and they've scored two. So, Mm -hmm. You know, and they've general, scored in how many straight games now? 
I think it's now 17. 17 straight yeah. game, right. So, and you, so you would like them to score. I, I see both teams scoring, but then again, mm -hmm. so do the books. So North Macedonia in both their match day one and match day two, uh, the side they were playing and both teams to score, parlaying those two together, were over plus 300. Mm -hmm. And for tomorrow against the Netherlands, who is a defensive side than either Ukraine or Austria and a better attacking side, uh, it's only plus 185. So I think the books kind of see that while North Macedonia may not be winning this game, the idea that they can get something out of it is very, very plausible. Mm -hmm. uh, I see exactly what you said. Netherlands putting out a heavily rotated squad mm -hmm. um, just because they are through. They've won their group barring you know a loss and ukraine or austria winning three nil which won't happen mm -hmm. uh, but i you know my favorite look in this is just both teams to score because that they will or north macedonia plus two at minus 115 i mean those are great prices for me considering this is a game that netherlands don't need it'll be heavily rotated and north macedonia as we've seen so far will throw everything they have at this game yeah no doubt and Ukraine, Austria, both teams on three points. Uh, mm. Probably both liking their their chances with four points. Let's the goal difference. They're both I, on zero at goal difference. So I have never, ever, in my life, seen a draw before kickoff be minus money. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that ever. Not once. I've seen it in like the 60th minute of a game. Sure. But to see minus 115 for the draw tomorrow is the most insane thing ever. Like I might, I might put, you know, a half unit on Austria and Ukraine, you know, just outright mm -hmm. because you're getting ridiculous money. I mean, Austria is plus 295, Ukraine's plus 270. You put half a unit on each, you've made money. Like it's just, yeah. it, it's just, don't get me wrong. I think this is a nil, nil draw. The play for me is under two. But it's just wild that the books think they're both going to lay down and just literally, you know, stand on the ball for 90 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It's going to be like that Simpsons episode where the halfback plays it to the fullback, plays it to the <laughs> halfback. And exactly. the riots. Is because... Exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, so th that, that's, that's the early two games. Um, then we have... Finland taking on Belgium and Russia taking on Denmark. Belgium on six points, of course. Um, Finland still with an outside shot, so they're going to come to play. They're another team that does not quit, does not give up. Um, they're very rarely in these final tournaments, so they're going to they're going to live it up because they don't know when they're going to qualify again. They're going to leave it all out there. And then Russia and Denmark. We've said I I also like Denmark in this one. I've liked Denmark since. Uh, I looked at the the rest of the matches after you know the Christian Eriksen thing happened, and after they unfortunately you know dropped three points to Finland, yeah. um, they put in a solid effort against Belgium. There's no reason to think they they can't do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean if they if they play like they did against Belgium for the mm -hmm. first half, and and Belgium is a much much sure. better side than mm -hmm. Russia. So if they if they play how they did against Russia, and they're playing in Copenhagen. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, the Christian Eriksen, not legacy, but, you know, tribute game. And it's their right. opportunity. If they win, they go through, it, you know, depending on the rest of the table or rest of the groups. But, like, it's such a massive game with everything saying this is Denmark's, you know, shining moment. The, right. And Russia have looked terrible. I think this is a, a you know, Denmark, not blowout, but 
a very, very solid victory. Yeah, and with that, I think Denmark, whether they advance or not with the win, they won't know. They'll go with their heads held high with finishing Absolutely. finishing on the right foot. Yeah, they'll all be wearing um, number 10 underneath their kids. Of course, of course. And, uh, yeah, they're playing at home. Like you said, they're in Copenhagen, so they'll have the support of their crowd behind them. And really, they're going to – they're another team that will play for pride and, and just does things the right way. And they're not going to lay down, obviously. And mm-hmm. we talked about the last time we talked about them, how, what they must be going through emotionally and, yeah, I mean. and just mentally, the mental exhaustion of what they've been through and how it, it would even maybe be best for their mental health to be eliminated. Yeah. But they're not just going to lay down. They're going to no they're going to go out fighting and that's the type of character they have and I think we're going to see the best of them tomorrow. Mm. And I expect Belgium to take care of business against Finland. I mean all the heart in the world that Finland has, I don't see it being enough to even if Belgium rotates their squad like like Italy, like um uh like the Netherlands, you know, they're they're deep. They can they can they can rotate players. Like I said, I'm hoping to see the young player, Jeremy Doku tomorrow at some point. He's yet, he's yet to get in. He's only 19 years old, but uh, I mean, you got, even if just these names, it's, you know, Munier, De Bruyne, Witzel, both hazards, Yanni Carrasco, Lukaku, Eden Hazard, you know, it's just, there is such a plethora of options. Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, if you could, if you could bet, on who's going to sit tomorrow. I'd say Eden Hazard because he's made a glass. And Lukaku mm-hmm. just because he's so important to the side. And De Bruyne because exactly. he's been injured. But, I mean, Belgium, you know, all the players that sat on the bench for the first two match days, if they were the ones to play tomorrow, they still have way too much for Finland. And I can also see this as, you know, being slightly what Italy did and have, you know, six rotations in the squad and then mm-hmm. get a lead and then bring on... Uh, other players obviously don't play anyone with the yellow card and all that but you know i i just see belgium taking control of this game and then you know subbing out all mm-hmm. of their starters to make sure that they're well rested yeah and even then i didn't even mention christian benteke or dries yeah. mertens i mean mertens, the names, oh i'm goodness. looking at the names now and it's like they yeah. just keep going on then donker you know i mean yeah and you look at finland's defense like what would they do against benteke i mean right just, bin balls into him you know you know it's it's very much what we assume with Lukaku and Finland again we've said this from the beginning they and I'm not saying any any negativity towards Finland but they were able to take advantage of a very terrible situation by no fault of their own this was in a very professional manner playing this game and everyone was professional about it but they should not have any points they should not have any goals under normal circumstances they lose that game yeah absolutely So, um, yeah, that's what we're looking at tomorrow. Uh, what'd you think of the last couple of days? We, we haven't talked in a few days, mm-hmm. so, uh, we've, we've kind of, uh, we've kind of veered into it a little bit inside conversation here. Uh, we've talked about England and about the Portugal Germany yeah. game, but what were your thoughts overall on uh, Friday and Saturday's action? Yeah, I think that we saw a lot of, uh, examples of, you know, teams that have that fight, like you said, teams that don't. I think it was very telling to see Spain get a draw with Poland. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that for me is just confirming that Spain will be eliminated pretty damn fast when it Mm -hmm. gets to the knockout stages um, or sooner if they lose to Slovakia. Yeah. Uh, But I think the biggest thing that I took away from the weekend that was very, very surprising was France. 
I thought they would run through Hungary. They looked not lost, but just haphazard. Uh, it could be that they didn't care because they, you know, beat Germany and they knew a point was really all they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just for a team that had three points and needed more points to go through playing against the bottom of their group. I expected them to run riot. I, I put, you know, an alt line spread at France minus two. I thought they'd win three, four nil. Um, and I just, Watching that game didn't see anything that impressed me. Didn't see anything that made me think this is a dangerous team. Now, mm-hmm. maybe that will change when they face, you know, a team in the knockout stages because they care more. But the France I saw play Hungary and the France I saw play Germany, I wouldn't say that they're a lock to beat Portugal. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I wouldn't say that they're a lock to really beat anyone that's going to go to the knockout stages, barring you know Wales, obviously, and teams like that but that really surprised me i thought i thought they'd get more out of it i was very surprised with the fight in the czech republic the fact that they got something out of the weekend mm-hmm. uh, or friday rather i thought that was very impressive i mm-hmm. did not expect them to be anywhere near as solid as they've looked uh croatia is just you know that the old is getting to them and yeah. unfortunately their young players we talked about this do not respect the old players the way they should so it just needs to be a case of a full overhaul and that's how it is um the netherlands looked solid belgium their uh, fight back against the danes was impressive Mm -hmm. but yeah my biggest takeaway was england is shit and france do not look as dangerous as i would have thought england scotland looked like one of those fa cup ties where you get the premier league team taking on the league one or the low championship side Mm. and they just can't break them down yeah, where the the lower league side just celebrates the nil nil like a victory. It yeah. really felt like that for ninety minutes. They, but again, I I was on that night frustrated, and I have no dog in the fight. I have no emotional attachment to England, mm. but just watching, knowing a guy like Jaden Sancho is on the bench, and, <laughs> and the, the, just not. I don't understand. That game was screaming for him because Scotland are playing deep. You mm. need a guy to run at them at that point. We've seen what Germany did. We've seen what France did to Germany. When you get defenders turned around facing their own goal, that's yeah. when trouble happens for them defensively. And England never got in behind and forced Scotland's backline to turn and face their own goal. So they kept the game in front of them all the time. And then it's easy to cut out passing lanes. It's easy to cut out crosses because you can see them from a mile away, whereas the attacker has to turn. And the attacker is backpedaling to try to get on the end of a header while the defender is coming forward to it. The advantage is always going to go to the defender, and they're usually taller, especially when, I mean, when he substituted off Harry Kane and brought on Marcus Rashford, I'm saying to myself, you've lost any box presence you had. Yet your your wingbacks are still whipping in crosses like like Kane is still in there, and I yeah, thought I mean, the decision was, would have been to give Kane more help and to have him stay more in yep. front of the goal and have him there to be on the end of those crosses versus just pulling him out. Even if he wasn't playing well, you you I don't know. I that that substitution to me made them made them weaker versus making them stronger. Well, it's it's also weird to be like you know this is 
presumably and like a 120 million pound man and you're taking him off the pitch you know yeah. like don't get me wrong i'm a united fan and i love marcus rashford and i think he's a very mm-hmm. dynamic player but it is not a like for like substitute no not in any way for harry kane so you'd think oh, okay there will be a tactical change mm-hmm. and there was none. no i mean marcus rashford i would say was more effective than kane at least in terms of creating dangerous mm-hmm. chances you know in and around the box but i mean watching that game there were so many moments where Harry Kane was behind his wingbacks. Yeah. Be up front and he'd be top of the box. You know, it's just like England looks lost. And I think that game exposed Calvin Phillips for, you know, hey, he had one good game, but Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not the finished product yet. I mean, right. England is just, it's such a mystery to me because again, another change team selection and another, you know, mediocre to pathetic output from, those players and when you look at their squad it's so deep and so amazing and they just can't figure it out unless you know i, I don't know I, I i was saying towards the end of that game in stoppage time when there was that you know absolute scrum in the box where mm-hmm. McTominay pretty much just laid himself on the ball to make sure that it didn't go in but i was like yeah this would be the most england win ever absolute shit for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and then just a lucky bouncing off people all over yeah. the place, ball in to win it but they didn't get it, you know, thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, as a neutral, because they didn't deserve it. I mean, they they did not look dangerous ever. Scotland had zero problem dealing with anything right. they gave to them. And whilst when you look at the replay and you look at what happened, I think letter of the law, that was probably a penalty on Sterling. The reason it wasn't given is because you knew he was looking for it. You yeah. knew that he had no options. He was running to the touchline without picking his head up, looking right. anywhere. There was no danger there. So the referee was like, I'm sorry, there was contact, but you weren't doing anything with the ball. You're running right. out of bounds. And it's you just, still have to play the ball. Yeah, you, I mean, you I can't just... can't stop playing the ball. Players get away with this all the time. They stop playing the ball. They slow themselves down so that yep. the defender runs into them. And they're rewarded too many times for that, in my opinion. Yeah. But and in this one, the referee many, just didn't give it. There's so many instances as well where you see England being, I don't know, like they're trying to play as though they're Spain or they're mm-hmm. Italy with this ticky-tack type yeah. of stuff that doesn't suit their personnel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like him at all as a player. I think if Sterling was a good player, he'd have 50 goals a season with the yeah. amount of chances he gets at City. But he is a good player. He wouldn't be on the squad if he wasn't. Mm-hmm. But between him and Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden, who's an amazing player, and Jaden Sancho, you have some of the fastest players on the pitch in any game. And mm-hmm. yet you're trying to do these, you know, 5, 10, 15-yard passes. Why are yeah. we not the slow build up. the wings? Why are we not, you know releasing them it's just unreal to watch how england play it's like watching tottenham this year it's like Mm -hmm. as if you know when Mourinho is at united you have a club that literally has chance to attack attack Mm -hmm. attack you have this history of just throwing men forward getting goals you win by scoring more than them not by defending and Mourinho Mm -hmm. comes in and tries to employ his park the bus mentality Mm -hmm. and the players hated it the fans hated it and it didn't work, and he left. Yeah. And it seems like that's what Southgate is doing. He's like, I'm going to be this progressive manager and you know, try to be much more tactical with these you know, a million passes to make a million percent chance goal. And it's like, that is not yeah, the Yeah, very hipster. Want. It's like, <laughs> this is the yeah. new football, and we're <laughs> playing this, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, and if you don't had... like it, it's because you're not up with, with what's not modern. And Well, and, and tell me <laughs> one player that does that for 
their right. squad for their league team. You know, it's right. like you, you look at Italy and you look at Spain and all of those players do that with Barcelona, with yes. Real Madrid, with Juventus, with, you know, Atalanta, but England, all these players for Liverpool, for United, for Manchester City. Manchester City is probably the only team that does that. United, Liverpool, I mean, they're all about counterattacking. They're all about pace. And you're not utilizing any of that. Tottenham is about being shit, apparently. They've been terrible this year. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just so shocked watching England that has that much talent. And every single international tournament, it's like they can't figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, they exactly. I felt like you. I, I it was funny because I'm talking that night frustrated as if it's my own team, and I'm talking about like Raheem Sterling who will not use his left foot playing on the. <laughs> it's like ever. I get I get that you're shooting foot and you want to create, hmm. but if you don't ever go left, you're never going to open up the space to go right. Everybody's. Yeah knows where you're going, and that's what's happening to him. It happened to him in the Champions League final, too. He just Mm -hmm. kept trying to go from left to center to set up that shot, and it just kept getting cut out by, even though he's got the pace, the defenders have a shorter route to the point because they know the angles, and they're just going to cut it off. And he's leaving the ball exposed, dribbling that way because his body is not between the defender and the ball. And he's the one that stays on. You yeah. know, but that's the other. Cra- I mean, he's the one that, that that Southgate keeps on, and I I'm like tearing my hair out for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I and you look at you look at Jaden Sancho, and you're like, why are you here? Yeah, like right. why bother showing up? Because <laughs> if you're not even going to come on before 87 minutes, it's like, right. I mean, he he had 145 appearances. What was it? It was 140 appearances, I think, for um. Borussia Dortmund mm-hmm. and 117 goal involvements, whether assisting sure. or scoring. Goal or assist, it's like, yeah. how is that not something that would benefit your squad? Yeah, and like he's and he fits in perfectly with Rashford and mm-hmm. with Kane, and it's just yeah, I don't know. It's you know, I'm a couch manager, I know, but yeah, we are, but but it, maybe we're better suited to make this decision <laughs> because we look at maybe maybe it's hard to say, but does Gareth Southgate not even pay any attention to to Bellingham yeah. and Sancho because they're playing in Germany? I don't know. Well, and why? And okay, the other thing is we said this after match day one when England beat Croatia in thoroughly uninspiring fashion. Mm-hmm. You and I said this on the pod. I was like. Gareth Southgate is either a moron or a genius, but at the minute we can't really say because he's batting a thousand, but now he's not. Now Now he just got blanked by Scotland. So it's like if you do not absolutely handle your next game against Slovakia, which Mm -hmm. is arguably the easiest team in the group, if you don't absolutely handle them, what do you do? Like, how can you be considered a good manager? And they have to win to win the group. They're behind oh, on yeah. the difference. Forget it's crazy. winning the group. I mean, yeah. they have to win for pride, for right. absolutely everything. I mean, wow, it's just crazy to me how poor they look. It, it, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, what is that? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking right now. And England has, excuse me, the Czechs, not Slovakia, the Czechs. Yeah, Czechs. Who are leading the group. Yeah. And if they, like, genuinely, if they don't win by margin, it's... A loss, right? Jesus, and and, and they'll probably that'll win be on nil. Tuesday. Yeah, and they'll probably win one nil. Yeah, and they'll squeak through. Yeah, um, it'll be some terrible, terrible like back pass by the Czechs that 
you know, they capitalize on and score completely mm -hmm. against the run of play. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, the Czechs had a good a good match with Croatia. We talked about that. And uh, it's cool to watch, to watch, you know, Schlick stand up there with his nose bleeding and converting the penalty kick. And, you know, his teammates jumping on him, all getting his blood on them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and... uh it was it was a pretty nasty uh, blow. I don't know that that was a penalty kick. Um, watching it, no, it, no on VAR is one. It's one thing to watch on the VA, but at live play, nobody thought it was a penalty kick. No, you can't. But that's the other problem is everything yeah. looks worse in slow motion, man. Like yes, look at exactly. the part today. You know, yeah. it's like yes, his studs were high, but it's like when you watch it frame by frame, it looks like he kicked his foot up to slam his ankle. Like right, just yeah. No, that that wasn't a penalty for me either, but. I found it even interesting. They even entertained looking at it. Yeah. Because, and then even Mark Clattenburg said on ESPN that, well, they must be looking to see if the forearm hit his nose before the ball got there or something. But he mm. said, even he said, even for him, he does because of the way the rule is written now, you know, it, it shouldn't have been a penalty. He doesn't see how that was a penalty kick, but the yeah. referee after watching it emphatically points to the spot. And uh, yeah, he really did, didn't he? As well, yeah, <laughs> it was like like he'd waited his whole life to to make that call. Yeah, and, uh, so you end up with a one-one draw there. Everything to play for here. In the Croatia's got a lot of pressure too. They're going to go into Hampden Park to play Scotland, who have yeah. shown they can be stingy. They can be tough to break down. And Scotland uh, playing though with a lot behind them, like yeah. They're, their energy, their fight, like Croatia, they have problems within their team. Yes. Scotland, it's like they have absolutely nothing to lose. They, you know, were supposed to beat the Czechs, lost. Everyone thought they were out of the group, and now they have a chance again. I just feel like, yeah. you know, Scotland is going to be dangerous because of the fact that they're just, you know, throwing everything at the wall. Yeah, and, and it's funny because opposite to England, they've never won anything, but they always believe they're they're not sitting there waiting for everything to collapse around them. They're going to yeah. go after it, and if they fall short, it's not because they didn't try. Exactly, and that's just their attitude. And this is Croatia for me. I said this the other night, and you wouldn't know that that was a World Cup finalist three years ago. It's like there's almost yeah. no remnants left of that team. Even though you still have your Luka Modric and your Ivan Perisic, but they're moving on in years. Um, and like you said, the young players don't respect these older players the way they should. And mm. they just don't look like they were ever the, at that level. It's it, no. There's been such a drop in the way they play. No, and, I don't see how they score. You know, like, yeah, I, I really don't see against Scotland. I think we're going to see, you know, very similar game to the Czechs in terms of, I think, a 1 1 or a 1 0 or, you know, Scotland sneaking by. But mm -hmm. I just, they, their team does not look together. They, on the pitch, you watch them and the eye test says something's up. And, you know, they, I, they I think look like a boxer of, or a UFC fighter that stayed around too long. And yeah. now just yeah. getting their clock cleaned, and it's like, why are you still doing this? Yeah, you, you Stop, don't. Please, you're making us forget please. what you were five years ago. Yeah, it's what it reminds me of. Yeah, All right, I, so I completely agree. That that should wrap it up. We're going over an hour now. Anything else you wanna you wanna hit on tonight? Uh, the only thing I'll say is, until you see differently, don't bet on England. Mm, because yeah. I saw, I mean, Jesus, the amount of people all over England and France 
like minus one and a half, throwing them as the last piece in parlays, all that shit. We haven't seen anything to show they deserve that yet. So just hold on to your money. Yeah, I've heard Until that. Show you. This comes up sometimes because I listen to English radio from time to time. I listen to BBC mm. Five or to Talk Sport. And they talk about how because so many English people bet, they actually move the lines because oh, yeah. they're just they're just betting on their own team with no no information blindly. blindly. And what they're doing is they're, they're moving those lines because they're just blindly putting money into a team and swaying the <laughs> swaying the yeah. favoritism in that way. So it's it's always a like you said, don't put your money on them just because the tide of opinion is going that way. Yeah, I mean the eye test usually is a pretty good sign and mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen anything from either of those two teams that would make me confident to say you know it's a lock like germany playing hungry i'm very mm-hmm. confident you know <laughs> england playing the czech republic should destroy them five nil mm-hmm. not a but chance. you're not confident right staying yeah. completely away from the game mm-hmm. could be nil nil five nil who knows all right. All right. Thank you again for joining me tonight. If you're available tomorrow, I'll have you again. Um, All righty. All right. Uh, Jim couldn't, uh, James couldn't make it tonight. He was, he, he came down with something today. So uh, he wasn't feeling well. So unfortunately, he couldn't join us, but we'll get him on here one of these nights. Uh, uh, if not, he'll be sending in videos as well to give some picks and we can react to his videos if he's not able to join oh, yeah. us. But. We will be back, everybody, tomorrow, same time, same place, okay? Those of you listening on the podcast feed, you got a special bonus segment coming up where I'm going to recap the Brazilian League round four that just concluded a few minutes ago. So I'll have that for you in the morning. I'll have that by tomorrow morning for you. Um, So look for that if you're interested. And for everybody else, we'll see you tomorrow, day 11, tomorrow of Euro 2020. Group B and C will be concluding. So we will have some more teams qualifying, some more teams eliminated. And we'll, the tournament is going to start to take shape now, and we're going to see who has the path to get to that final at Wembley. So uh, for for uh, Fades here, make sure you follow him at Fade My Play. Follow me at PTB underscore media. And we'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. See ya. And welcome back to Parking the Bus, episode 51, night 10 of Euro 2020. And this is now the exclusive podcast portion of the show. So only the people listening on the podcast feed right now are getting this. But as you know, I uh, we've been talking Brazilian League since last year. We covered the season all the way to the final day. It's one of the leagues I pay the most attention to in the world. And you didn't think that I was going to go an entire month without revisiting the Brazilian League, did you? The Brasileiro. No, here we go. Okay, so it's been a couple weeks. We talked after round one about the league, and I gave some predictions. And I talked about a couple teams that I'm expecting to do well this year. And I expected these teams to actually get a head start during this portion here, this international portion of the season. Because what we've had is we've had national teams in South America uh, in action. Okay, so in South America, as you know, if you listen to this show, they're playing in the Copa America. Okay, tomorrow's episode 52, I'll have a look back at, at match day three of Copa America, um, the first set of matches for match day three, uh, which kicked off earlier today. I will take a look at those for you tomorrow. Um, so Copa America going on. There was also 
South American World Cup qualifiers that took place one week before the start of Copa America. And the Brasileirão is not stopping for any of these international dates. They don't have the time to, obviously. they got to squeeze 38 matches into a six-month window. Um, as you know, the league scheduled to conclude in the beginning of December. So the league is playing through these international windows, which makes this very interesting. Okay, So it makes life a little bit tough for your bigger clubs, for your for your Flamengo, for your Palmeiras, for your Fluminense, for your Atlético Mineiro. Okay, they're, they're gonna, they've got players away on international duty. It's a little bit more difficult for them. Your Inter Porto Alegre, your Grêmio. All right, and I said that you should keep your eyes on a couple of teams. I most notably said Red Bull Bragancino is a team that I'm watching all season this year. I really think they can turn into everything that their sister club in Germany is. They could easily become the Brazilian equivalent to RB Leipzig, a team that comes from nowhere and asserts itself in the top four of the league, top six, whatever you want to call it. Um, I predicted Rebel Bragancino would finish top six this season. I also predicted Atlético Paranaense would finish top six this season, or at least push for it. And um, early on, these teams are are carrying out my prediction. There's another one who's that's emerged on the scene, and I didn't see this one. And it is Fortaleza. They have started on fire. Uh, before we get to round four, let me go over their previous matches this season okay the first three rounds of the league they started off with a shocker in round one that's right they were at home in round one we talked about it already they it was actually round two their round one match was not uh let me go back just a little bit further here actually so that i get i give you the correct information here on fortaleza but their round one match was against Atlético Mineiro on the road at the Mineirão in Belo Horizonte. And Fortaleza went in there and beat Atlético Mineiro. Atlético Mineiro are one of the legitimate candidates for the title this season. They're, of course, managed uh, by by Cuca this season, who has come over from Santos. And uh, they're a team that's always near the top recently in the past four or five years. Always near the top. Fortaleza go in there in the first round, and they shock them. Now, in round two, an even bigger shock at home. Fortaleza beat Inter Porto Alegre, the vice champions, the runner-up from last season, Internacional, in Fortaleza, 5-1. to one, Okay, and they don't stop there. Four days later, they go into Sierra and win 3-0. And three days after that, they beat Sport Recife at home 1-0. Okay. Uh, that's where we stand coming into this week. So Fortaleza come into round five with th- with four victories, okay? And they come in top of the table. Atletic Paranaense come in perfect, three victories. Uh, Red Bull Bragancino come in with two victories and two draws into this round five. And so those are the teams right now at the top of the table. Let's look at the fixture list then. For round four, or I should say round five. I've been calling it round four. It's actually round five right now. Uh, And it began on Friday night. Round four completed on Thursday. And on Saturday, excuse me, round five began. So I'll just run down the quick scores from the midweek matches, okay? 
So midweek in round four, you had Inter Porto Alegre losing 1-0 at home to Atlético Mineiro. Uh, São Paulo draws 1-1 against Chapecoense. Corinthians lose at home 1-2 to Red Bull Bragantino, the team I said to watch. Uh, Juventud would lose... Uh, would lose 3-0 at home to Palmeiras. Palmeiras would go in to Juventud. They would go in and completely dominate the match in in uh, in Rio Grande do Sul and in the city of Caixas. And they would imprint their footprint right in the in the season as Palmeiras started off with a loss to Flamengo. And they had a little bit of a slow start. As you know, they did well in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, they did, however, lose both the Brazilian uh, Super Cup and the South American Super Cup, or the Recopa, as they call it. Um, but they would win Wednesday night 3-0 on the road in Rio Grande do Sul over Juventude. Now, Thursday, América Mineiro would host Cuiabá at home, and that match would finish in a stalemate 0-0. Sierra hosting Bahia. Bahia go in and win 2-1. Atlético Goianense are the first... To take points from Fortaleza. They did that on Thursday night. Nil-nil in Goiania. And and Fortaleza dropped their first points of the season. Fluminense are home at the Maracanã versus Santos. And Fluminense pick up a 1-0 victory. Sport Recife home to Grêmio. And Sport Recife 1-0 winners over the Tricolor. As that is a big, big result for them. And then we move to Saturday, the first big game that I want to talk about. The first big game of the round. And it is at the Maracanã. It is Flamengo, the champions, the back-to-back champions, taking on one of the teams I said to watch, the team that I think is going to be the surprise team of the season, Red Bull Bragancino. And it is, of course, like I said, at the Maracanã. And as you know, nobody in the stands in Brazil yet. But here are the lineups, starting with the side from Bragança Paulista. That is, of course, Red Bull Bragancino. Clayton is the goalkeeper. They're playing 4-2-3-1, a formation we're seeing all over the place right now, both in South America and in, in Europe. And the four across the back, the right back is Adarlan. The two center backs are Leo Ortiz and Fabricio Bruno. Weverson is the left back for Red Bull Bragancino. Double pivot in midfield with Lucas Evangelista. Very, very good player. He's on loan from Nantes. Uh, he's spent time in Portugal. I've seen him play a lot. Both with uh, He has played both with Famalicão in Portugal as well as with another team in that I'm double checking on that team so I don't give you the wrong information but he's and I know I've seen him play it was with Vitoria Guimarães and also he has also played with Istoril in way way back in the past so uh, Lucas Evangelista a very very good footballer and he's he partners with Raul as the double pivot in front of them three attacking midfielders to the right is Artur Guimarães the center attacking midfielder is Hamirish with Elu Junior to his left. And the striker is Italo. Interestingly enough here, we in the Red Bull Bragantino side, there is 
there there are quite a few injuries. So here's the injuries also that Red Bull Brangatino are dealing with. Alejandro is injured. He's out a few weeks. Bruno Tubarão out with a broken ankle, at least until mid-June. Claudinho, last year's player of the year. Last year's leading goal scorer, golden boot winner. He's out temporarily now with physical discomfort. Gabriel Novaj is out with a thigh injury until early August. And Luan Candido is out until late June. Also, Weberton was expected to be out, but he, as we said, he got the start in this one. So he was he's on his way back. So for Flamengo, on the other side, the Mango would line up for Rogerio Seni in the same 4-2-3-1 formation. The goalkeeper, of course, is Diego Alves. Whenever he's fit, he's the goalkeeper. Across the back, the right back is Mateo Zinho. The the center back pairing is none other than Rodrigo Caio and William Arão. It's the same as it always is for Flamengo under under Rogério Ceni, and the longtime Brazil international and former Atlético me uh, sorry Atlético Madrid uh, wing back Felipe Luiz gets the start. Double pivot in midfield for Flamengo as well. It is the experienced Diego or Diego Ribas, if you want to use his full name, uh, former Santos Porto, among other teams. He's played for several teams, long-time player. He's He's been in the spotlight since he was a teenager when he broke through at Santos, along with Robinho. If you can think back that far, the two of them came through together. And he's partnered, of course, with Gerson, who all signs point to making a multi-million dollar move to Marseille once the transfer window opens in about 10 days or so. But he's still playing. Uh, he's still getting the start here for Flamengo in front of them. Vicinho on the right attacking mid with Bruno Henrique playing as the center attacking mid and Michael, who is also now being rumored with a big move uh, for a substantial amount of money. He gets the start as the left attacking midfielder and the striker is Rodrigo Moniz. Muniz, excuse me. And the match gets off to a great start as the two teams take the pitch at the Maracanã. Right in the second minute, it is Rodrigo Muniz with the right-footed shot from the center box, but he misses just left. Bruno Henrique gets a yellow card in the eighth minute for a foul on Raul. And then a minute later, it's Red Bull Bracanchino with an, with an attempt. It's Adelan with a left-footed shot from outside the block box but it was blocked by Rodrigo Caio keep moving forward and in the 11th minute it is the visitors who get on the board first the upstarts Red Bull Bragancino Adderlan is the man right footed shot from the center of the box top left corner no chance for Diego Alves as he's assisted by Elinho on the play or Elio Junio as we as I read him in the team sheet here in the notes, he goes by the name also the nickname Elinho. And it is one nil to Red Bull Bragantino. Thirteenth minute, it's it's Red Bull again. And it's Adderlan again. And he hits the right post this time with the right footed shot from a difficult angle on the right. He was set up by Artur Guimarães with a cross following a corner. Flamengo nearly equalized in the fourteenth, one minute later though, as Rodrigo Muniz has a right-footed shot from outside the box saved in the top right corner. In the 16th, it's Michael with an opportunity. Right-footed shot from outside the box, but saved again. And 
Flamengo are waking up a little bit and they're getting they're getting their their juice going. Remember, Flamengo have missed a few matches. They had some Copa do Brasil action midweek with Curitiba. They advanced to the round of 16, but they're, they're catching up, if you will, um, because they did not play the first night of the Copa do Brasil. They were postponed, so they had to make up the game. So they're coming in a little bit more tired than than Red Bull is. And uh, in the 22nd minute, it's Bruno Mahiki with the right-footed shot from outside the box. But this one gets saved in the bottom left-hand corner. Gerson with the pass to set him up. In the 26th, just a few minutes later, Michael, right-footed shot outside the box. Misses left. He was set up by Philippe Luiz. But then, just a moment later, it was it was finally... Uh, it, the goal finally came, I should say, and Flamengo would pull a level here. It is Rodrigo Muniz, left-footed shot from the center of the box, bottom left corner, no chance for the goalkeeper, assisted by Michael, and it is 1-1, the champion's answer. Adrelan goes in the book in the 29th, and we move on, and we go to the 41st, and it's Vicinho with the chance, right-footed shot from the right side of the box, but blocked by the defense, Leo Ortiz with the block and then wins a free kick on the ensuing scramble after being fouled by Rodrigo Muniz. And that will take us to halftime. Artur Guimarães would see a yellow card just before the half for a foul on Bruno Henrique. In the second half gets started, and it is Bruno Henrique right off the bat. Left-footed shot from outside the box, saved in the bottom left corner. He had been set up by Gerson. And then it was Bragantino's chance to squander an opportunity. It's Artur, right-footed shot from the right side of the box, close but misses just right as Italo played him through with the through ball following a fast break out of the back. And then we would... See some more action in the 59th minute. It is Rodrigo Muniz. We said his name a bunch in this in this recap. Uh, this time he's got a header from close range. Saved in the center of the goal. Coming off across from Michael. Rodrigo Muniz doing a good job to fill in for Gabriel Barbosa. A.K.A. Gabi Gol. Who is off on international duty with Brazil of course. At Copa America. And he's had a couple goals in Copa America. And Rodrigo Muniz trying to seize the opportunity to make a an impression for himself. And he certainly would in the 63rd minute. It's him, it's him again. Rodrigo Muniz, right-footed shot from the center of the box to the top right corner. Assisted by Matteo Zinho. And Flamengo take the lead. The champions go ahead in the 63rd. Prompting a substitution for Red Bull Bragantino. Uh, coming on is Tomas Coelho. Uh, yeah, Tomas Coelho. Uh, he would replace Elio Junior. And two minutes later, Artur Guimarães with another opportunity, assisted by the same Coelho, as he sends across. And Artur gets a left-footed shot from the center of the box, but he puts it just over the bar. Diego misses an opportunity in the 67th. Right-footed shot from outside the box, but it's high and wide. One minute later, heading down, it is a, the equalizer for Red Bull Bragancino as it is Hamidish with a header from the center of the box into the bottom left-hand corner, beating Diego Alves. 
He gets on the end of a corner, on the end of a cross from Weverson. And then a substitution for Flamengo. Rogerio Senni sends on Max Alvish in place of Michael. That's in the 72nd. And another attempt blocked as Tomas Cuejo again for Bragantino with an opportunity right foot shot from outside the box blocked by Willy Arão. And the match is wide open now. It's 2-2. Both teams looking for the victory. Another substitution for Red Bull in the 82nd. On comes Natan, who replaces Weverson, and Krigor enters and replaces Italo. A double substitution there for Red Bull. And then it would go down to the closing minutes. That's right. Right when you thought the draw was a foregone conclusion. 90th plus 7. It is Krigor, the substitute with the header from the center of the box. To the high center of the goal. Artur Guimaraes with the game-winning assist off the cross. And Red Bull Bragancino go into the Maracanã and beat Flamengo. They beat the champions. They take three points and they assert themselves in the top of the table. In the top three spots, top four spots in the table. Moving then to Sunday's matches. Palmeiras at home at the... At the Allianz Arena, they win 2-1 over America Mineiro. Bahia hosting Corinthians. Bahia um, held at home. It's a nil-nil draw, and Corinthians off to another slow start this season. Uh, for such a big club, you would expect you would expect their issues to be resolved a little bit sooner. They uh, they languished last season. They've had a hard. Uh, they didn't do well in the state championships. They didn't do well in the Copa Sudamericana. And um, they're struggling here at the start of this Brasileirão season. In the Beira Rio, in, in Rio Grande do Sul, it was Internacional 1, Sierra 1. Team, I told you to watch out for Antonio Oliveira Jr.'s. Atlético Paranaense, the Portuguese manager, keeps the 100% record here in round five. They beat Atlético Goianense 2-1. to one. They were down a goal to nil early on off in a, in a Goianense goal by Baralhas in the 13th minute. The 43rd, Mateus made it 1-1. And then in the 71st minute, it was Christian Cardoso who comes in who comes in, the Brazilian, the 20-year-old, gets on the ball, creates a nice opportunity for himself. He was assisted by Abner, and Cordozo will score to bring home all three points for Atlético Paranaense. And Fortaleza would drop points again in this one, as this time they would take on Fluminense at home. This match would finish 1-1. to Goals in this one for Fluminense scored by Paulista in the 56th. And then Hobson would draw level in the 69th on an assist from Iago Pikachu. As Pikachu ended up being the man of the match once again. This is a player who, remember this name, Pikachu, P-I-K-A-C-H-U. Okay, he is off to an absolutely flying start. He's... He is getting enormously good ratings as a player um, so far this season, and he's also he's also um, 
been in the, the team of the week a few times already as we are closing out round five. But Fortaleza dropped two more points. Santos at home to São Paulo in the local São Paulo derby. And Santos beat the other Tricolor, another team that goes by the Tricolor. This one's the of the red, white, and black uh, variety, São Paulo, uh, managed, of course, by Hernan Crespo. They lose away to Santos and Juventud. Pick up a 1-0 victory over Sport Hesif. That was the late one tonight. That finished uh, just a little while ago. Tomorrow, Monday, June the 22nd. One match in the league. It's it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States. 8 p.m. local time in Minas Gerais. It is Atlético Mineiro taking on Chapa Coense. And then you got a whole new round on Wednesday, which includes two absolutely cracking matches to look out for. Both kicking off at 6 p.m. Eastern time in the United States, 7 p.m. in Rio. Uh, The first one is at the Maracanã. It is the champions, Flamengo, taking on the team that has started the hottest, Fortaleza. Fortaleza, however, after the hot start, have two draws in a row. They're going to look to get back on their winning ways, but it doesn't get any easier as they visit the champions at the Maracanã. And at the same time, in Bragança Paulista, you have Red Bull Bragancino taking on the Copa America, the Copa Libertadores holders, excuse me, Palmeiras. So Red Bull versus Palmeiras also on Wednesday. All right, we will revisit the the Brasileirão perhaps on Thursday uh, because Thursday is an off day for the the Euro 2020. That's the first day with no matches, and um, possibly we will possibly. Uh, have an episode visiting that on Thursday, or I may record it Thursday and throw it onto a weekend episode next week, or I may just wait until next Sunday night. I'll probably just wait until next Sunday night, and I'll capture round six and seven in one segment like I did tonight. I know this is a shorter form than what we normally do for the Brazilian League, but just to keep everybody up to speed and to give a little bit of extra coverage to those of you that follow the podcast, because at the end of the day, that is still the bread and butter of the Parking the Bus podcast. It is the podcast feed and not necessarily the live stream feed. All right, that's going to do it. But first, let's look at the table. So some teams have played four matches. Some have played five. Some have played three. So that all needs to be kept in, in mind. But the leaders right now, top of the table, perfect Four victories from four matches, 12 points. It's Atlético Paranaense. They lead while Fortaleza and Red Bull Bragantino are second and third, respectively, with 11 points each. Palmeiras right now in fourth with 10 points, and then Atlético Mineiro and Fluminense in fifth and sixth on nine points. Bahia right now seventh with eight from five matches. Atlético Goianense has seven from four matches. Santos have seven from five matches. In 10th place, it is the champions, Flamengo. They have six points from three matches, two victories and a defeat. Corinthians right behind them. Five matches played, five points earned. Uh, The team needs to be much better than that. They are a huge club, well supported, and they do not belong in 11th place, averaging just one point a match. 12th place right now, which is the final Copa Sudamericana spot for next season belongs to Sierra. Five points also through five matches. Internacional Porto Alegre, also a massive club, 
runners-up last year. They're also on five points from five matches, as is Juventud. Uh, they, they have one win, two losses, and two draws. Sports Recife is in 15th with four points. Cuiabá, 16th with two. Chapecoense in the relegation zone in 17th with two. São Paulo with two from five matches. América Mineiro, one point from five matches. And Grêmio, Grêmio are in 20th, dead last. They've only played three matches, but they have lost all three. Let's look at the leading goal scorers right now in the Brasileiro. The top goal scorer is from Fortaleza. No, sorry, he's from Bahia, and it is Gilberto with four goals. Flamengo's Rodrigo Muniz leads a, a group of players, actually three of them, with three goals. It's Rodrigo Muniz. It is the just aforementioned Iago Pikachu, who has three as well for Fortaleza, and Eden Nielsen of Inter has three as well. And then we have a very, very long list, 15 players or so with two goals. All right, now... Before we go, I will read you guys the team of the week for this week. Okay, and this is, of course, courtesy of SofaScore. So this is SofaScore's team of the week. Uh, this is for round five. Actually, round five has not been released yet, so it's round four's team of the week since round five just con won't conclude, actually, until tomorrow night. But the round four team of the week in goal, it is... Uh, from Fluminense, it is Marcus Filippi. The right back is Guga from Atlético Mineiro. Palão of Cuiabá and Rever of Atlético Mineiro are the center backs with Egidio of Fluminense as the left back. Three midfielders in this in round four's team of the week. On the right, you got Gustavo Scarpa of Palmeiras. You've got... Alisson of Santos and Nene of Fluminense, while the attacking trio from Atlético Mineiro, Natan, from Bahia, Gilberto, and from São Paulo, you have Emiliano Rigoni. That is the team of the week for, the, for that week. Uh, the next time we talk about the Brasileirão, I'll have a team of the week. For round five, it's just not available yet because the round has not concluded. Okay, but that does conclude this long episode of Parking the Bus. Thank you for sticking with me throughout the nearly two hours here. Um, thank you for continuing to support the show, both on the podcast and in the live stream. We've had some really good numbers some days. We've had some not-so-good numbers other days. That is the nature of covering a major tournament and accompanying a major tournament with coverage every single day. Not every single day is interesting to everybody, and I understand that. But again, I thank everybody for all of the support, all of the feedback. Um, obviously, I have to thank my boy Fades for coming in again tonight and and sharing the spotlight and, and talking to me and giving his very valuable perspective on things. And we will have J, JMP back this week as well with more of his predictions as uh, he brings you that angle. And I couldn't do this without those guys. So this has been an absolute joy to really kind of put together this team here as we continue to move our way through this month of June, through this summer of football, and through this Euro 2020, etc. All right, thank you guys. I will see you tomorrow on another episode of the Park in the Bus podcast. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. 
any feedback, feel free to hit me on Instagram or Twitter at PTB underscore media or to just drop me an email if you want to. The email address is ptbmedianetwork at gmail.com. You can just drop a message there. Of course, you can hit me on my other platforms as well. You can go to at Benfica Mr. on Twitter or at Mr. Benfica on, on Instagram. Also, I'm starting to use my personal Twitter handle again at Mike Agustinu um, because now that I'm running multiple projects it's just too much to go back and forth between different accounts to post essentially the same thing um, so I think you're going to see over the course of the coming weeks and months me gradually start tweeting solely from the app Mike Agustinu uh, Twitter handle I'm not sure yet but I think that's the direction I'm going to go in all right see you next week I mean, sorry, see you tomorrow night. It's getting late, as you can as you can tell. And uh, we've got more football to talk about then. All right, good night, everybody. And park that bus, stay safe, and enjoy all of the football that this time of year has to offer. And um, peace out, PTB Nation. Novamente, o sorriso na cara está sempre presente. O nosso caminho é seguir em frente. Esquece o teu passado e vivo o presente. E se for, primeiro levo toda a gente. Ao meu lado, tenho os mesmos deste sempre. Firma na corrida com a fé na minha vida até o fim. Nós só sabemos viver. Chegaste aqui, mas agora vocês vão ter que superar. Ah, ah, ah. Sente a 
batida do seu coração Tic-tac, 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 tic-tac Minha pátria amada, a minha nação 